The story of Ted Lasso is that of an American football coach who has been hired to coach a soccer football team in London. This is, at the heart, a fish-out-of-water story. It is for a few reasons. At the very beginning of the series, Coach Lasso and his assistant coach, Coach Beard, are flying across the Atlantic and getting ready to land in London to start this new gig as the coach of the AFC Richmond Greyhounds, a London area football club. As they're going, Coach Beard is looking through a book about soccer. He's trying to learn the rules. And he's trying to explain them to Ted Lasso, who has never played and has no idea what soccer is about. He has no idea about what offsides is, what a free kick is, or even a corner kick. I mean, he's even struggling with the lingo. He was like, so you're telling me a jersey is a kit, and that cleats are called boots, and that they don't play on the field, they play on a pitch. And Coach Beard is like, exactly. So he gets there, and he begins to try and learn this sport while also trying to coach it. The other thing is, is as you saw in that first clip, that Ted's understanding of coaching differs a bit from what we have an understanding of about what is important and what is success in sports. As he mentioned, his coaching is not focused on wins and losses, as much as he is, making sure that the players that he works with, that the organization that he's a part of, creates an environment in which people know that they are cared about, they're supported, and that they can grow as people. Now, for us who live in the state of Kentucky, if John Calipari were to come up and say, really, I'm not really worried about wins and losses and the games in the tournament. I'm just worried about making sure that these young people are become quality individuals. How long would he last here? So you can see that same thing happens to the rabid football base that's over in London. What they say? Because as he continues to lead this team and he continues to engage with them and to challenge them as their coach, it does not translate immediately in wins, but instead in losses. And even the way that he coaches is incredibly unique and different. One of his most powerful cliches, and you may have heard this or seen this posted someplace, is called, be a goldfish. You guys heard or seen some of this? So after one of the plays uh, with one of his players, he's having a rough time, and he pulls Sam aside, and he says, Sam, I, need, I, I want to ask you a question. What animal has the shortest memory? He's like, I don't know. He says, the goldfish. He says, Sam, I want you to be a goldfish. Like, what? Forget what just happened, and I want you to focus on what is next. And even after the, the most, the kind of the pinnacle in this first season is this huge loss that they have, 
And as the team is sitting there and they have lost everything and are being relegated back to the to the lower leagues, as they sit around this locker room and they are they're just so downcast and frustrated and angry and disappointed. As he's sitting there with them, he says, I know that you're looking around here and you're thinking this is the worst place that we could be. And he says, but it is not. Because we could be going through this sad moment, this angry moment, alone. He says, we're doing this together. He said, so what I want us to do as a team is to do this. I want you to be a goldfish. And after you're you're finished feeling sad and, and finished feeling angry in this space together, I want us to step back and then move forward, forgetting about this. And then finally, the character of Ted Lasso is one in which we don't always see as the heroes in our kind of our shows today. He is a person that over and over again continues to place an importance on showing kindness and respect to every person. Learning the people's names, folks that may just even dole out towels on the team, or stopping and having a conversation with the fans along the way, getting to know them. Ted also opens himself up to his other team leaders, his boss, and, and those that are around him. And he shows vulnerability in the things that he does. When, he, when we recognize that he is going through a very difficult time, especially with anxiety, he comes forward and shares that with his team and shows in his own weakness what strength is all about. And because of living this way, it translates that it, it, it then the other characters in the show pick up on it. And his boss, who comes in pain and pain and, and broken as an individual, begins to find strength and renewal and, and this sense of revitalization, almost rebirth. And then same goes for Roy and Keeley, their own journeys that they're going through. Jamie, the star on the team, and watching Sam as he goes through his challenges, understanding who he is as a member of the team, but also as a person that comes from Nigeria and how he lives his life and stands up for things that are wrong. This hit, this TV show is a, is a hit. I mean, it's also been incredibly um, honored by like um, awards here and there. But interesting enough, when Jason Sudeikis and the, um, the leadership team around this show, when they went to shop it to all of the different production companies, every single production company passed on it. Nobody wanted anything to do with it because they looked at it and they said, this is silly. It's, it, it won't do any good. No one wants to watch this stuff. We're not going to pay for it. Until finally... This upstart um, kind of upstart channel, Apple Plus, said, sure, we'll try and make it. And now look at it. They're working on getting ready for their third season. This show, though, is different. It has overt themes of kindness, compassion, openness, honesty, 
and it's driven by laughter. Now, while I will also say there is a significant amount of colorful language, if you've seen it. <laughs> I mean, these are footballers. But it's done in a way that also celebrates these unique and deep characters. I could go on and on about the show. It's one of those things that whenever anybody says, I'm looking for the next show to watch online. Do you have any suggestions? It's one of my go-tos. I paired it this week with a biblical story that you may be a little familiar with. You may have heard parts of it at different times in life and maybe in your own faith journey. You may have heard a little bit from 1 Corinthians. This is a letter that Paul wrote back to the house church in Corinth that he helped to set up. It's called 1 Corinthians, but the reality is, is that this is just the first one that we printed in our canon. The reality is, is that back then, you didn't have email, you didn't have phone calls, you corresponded by letters. And so the reality was once Paul left, he was getting communications back and forth from Corinth at different times because he wanted to know what his friends were up to, how the church was going. He cared about them. You all can recognize that. How many of you have gotten a, I mean, when was the last time any of us got a letter, but maybe you've gotten a phone call or a text or an email from a friend or maybe even a Facebook message. How are you doing? I was thinking about you the other day. It's the same thing that's happening here, except this book made it into the canon because of a couple different things. Because they were dealing with issues around their church. And so they, they wrote to Paul. Like, Paul, you're not going to believe what's going on. And so Paul sits down and he writes this letter. But this is at the very beginning of the letter. And he wants to get everybody kind of on the same page. He wants to set a beginning place so that the conversation can happen about the issues on down the road. But first and foremost, he wants to make sure that they're speaking the same language. Have you all ever experienced this before where you're having a conversation you know, debate, argument, whatever, deliberation with someone, and about two minutes in, you realize you all are not speaking the same language, and there's really no reason to continue this conversation. I had that just the other day, was talking with a colleague about communion, okay? And it started off because there was an issue that was going on within the larger church about communion, and we started talking about this, deliberating about it. Well, we had to be like, two rounds in where we were talking back and forth to each other that I said, there is no way to even continue this because we had fundamental differences. We were speaking a different language and that person's voice was getting louder and, I, and inside I was getting louder as well and I thought, I'm just stepping away from this. Because we had a fundamental difference. We were talking about communion. We were talking about the table and the thing was, is that he started with this basis that, one, there were people in the world that God doesn't love, and that there are people in the world that are not part of God's family. Because he believed that, because that was the basis that he came to the discussion with, and mine is different, that, one, this is not our table, and that 
I believe that God created all of us and loves all of us and that we're all part of God's family. Because we believe those two different things, there was no reason to move forward. Because everything that I would say would go back to that basis and everything that he would say would go back to that basis. And so I stepped away. So what Paul's trying to do here at the very beginning is to start at this basic place. And he's saying, this is how I'm going to form all of the arguments. This is how I'm going to talk about who I am and what the church should be. It's all going to start from this very place. And if you notice, he lets you know at the very beginning, this is not like everybody else sees it. In fact, most people are going to look at what I say and think it's foolishness. They're going to say it's silly. They're going to cast it aside and they're going to say that these people don't know what they're talking about. Hiring, in the, in the show, hiring an American football coach to lead a British football team is the most preposterous and insulting thing that the owner of this team could have done. Everybody looked at her and said, you're stupid for doing this. You're silly. Paul, Paul writes about his understanding of the gospel that he has a way of taking all the expectations and turning them on their heads. God did not send us a Messiah so that Christians can outpace the world at its own game. See, that's where the church has kind of gotten into this problem is that we start trying to play a game that has nothing to do with the basis of who we are as people of God. Instead, God's work comes as a genuine surprise to the world. Where the world's measuring stick would, would indicate folly or weakness or, or just silliness, our gospel proclaims wisdom and power in those same things that are seen as less than. That's the thing that's fascinating to me. And the thing that I love about this show is it takes these things that we would cast aside, that we would look at someone who talks that way, who acts that way, who would eat crazy spicy food just to be kind to somebody else, and we'd say, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. And then they look at us as people within the church community like this. It says that God loves each and every person. That God is here for us and that God celebrates kindness, and compassion, and vulnerability, and service. That we talk about a God that we know through those characteristics. And that we follow a simple Jewish, kind of carpenter, worker, teacher, who was not part of that powerful kind of religious or political elite. Instead, he was one who walked among the people. If we are to follow Jesus as his disciples, 
We must reframe the belief that what, of what success looks like. Because it looks a lot less like winning and always working for more in this world. God's gospel looks more like serving the least of these, serving our neighbors, loving those that we walk and talk with each and every day, whether we agree with them or not, and making a difference in this world in small ways, little bits of kindness in all the things that we do. I'm fascinated because sometimes I look at the show and I think, is this too good to be true? What are they going to do? Because, you know, the, the, the little spoiler alert, okay, the first season, this guy shows up and you know he's the hero, all right? I mean, it's, the show's about him. And he starts doing all these things, and he starts trying to bring these people together, and you can see him starting to form as a team. You can see him getting better and better each time, and that they're, they're stepping away from themselves and embracing the team more and more each time. And they come to the final thing of the season, and it comes up to this that they have this huge game. And guess what? They lose. And you're like, is this what it's supposed to be about? Because I find myself in the midst of it going, well, okay, this is the first season. There's next season. So next season, guess what they'll do? They'll start winning. The next season, they start off with like seven ties. <laughs> but then... I find my, this is what's so hard to disconnect. I still have in my mind, at least in the end, they will win everything, right? Because I do want, in the end, for us to be in a place where what is being practiced and what is being seen as as a kind and loving community, finally is seen for what it is. The reality, we continue to see that we, is that just as Paul did thousands of years ago, we must continue to have the conversation about what it is that we are who it is that we're trying to be, and how it is that we will get there. It may seem silly. It may seem like a losing proposition to continue to put ourselves out there, to lead with kindness and compassion and love in a world that does not treat that in a way of respect. And I believe that our call is this, that we don't have to do it alone. That's the thing. That's what's beautiful about this table. 
is that we don't come by ourselves. Jesus always said, we're two or more are gathered. Jesus gathered with others around him, others that seemed to be cast away, cast aside. Sometimes they were fishermen on the side of, a, of the sea. Sometimes they were tax collectors. Sometimes they were women. He gathered all of God's children together and brought them together as a community, as a team, because he knew that together they could do amazing and wonderful things. And that's still the case today. We as the church can do incredible things on our own, but even greater things together. And this is the thing. We don't have to do it alone. Let's reframe the conversation. Let's step out onto the pitch of life and embrace this calling. Let's change it up. Let's be people that value the other, that serve passionately, and that love in a way that transforms this world and makes a difference. It's game time, folks. And I'm glad to be on the team with you all. Amen. Thank you for listening to the White Oak Pond Christian Church Podcast. We hope that it's been a blessing to you this day. White Oak Pond seeks to be a place where we accept one person at a time to Christ's never-ending and forgiving love. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can receive sermons each and every week. And also rate us. It really helps. Thank you again, and may you know joy in powerful ways this week.